Well, it's good to be back after a couple of weeks of dealing with this cold. It's been a very unusual cold. Instead of getting everything at one time, you kind of go from sore throat to cough to clogged sinuses to <laughs> it's just one step after another, like you're getting the whole thing, but in a two-week cycle. So hopefully uh, the Lord will put an end to this pretty quickly and spare other families from having to uh, go through that. So we want to, uh, especially this time of year, be praying for uh, those among us that are uh, sick. We do have some that have uh, compromised systems that uh, even getting colds and flus could be pretty serious for them. So uh, some of our shut-ins and so forth. And then I know that uh, I have a... uh, I'm sure he's not the only one in the world that's concerned about it, but I have a coworker that obviously is concerned about the coronavirus because he keeps sending links of articles to me throughout <laughs> the weekend uh, about what this doctor says or that doctor says. So uh, keep that in prayer. That is, uh, you know, we don't always see the full effect of that in small communities like we're we're in, but it could be a very serious worldwide. Uh, uh, pandemic. So I pray that God will use the science and medicine to put it into that as quickly as possible and and, um, uh, just reminds us how uh, fallen the world is that we live in. Uh, Diseases are common and uh, it's part of being in a fallen world, in a world with sin. And uh, it's just one of the things we deal with. Have you noticed how much that we as humans depend upon time in our lives? You've probably caught yourself, as I have, checking the clock at work or during school, throughout the day, hoping that the end of the day would finally get here so you can get home or maybe leave in time to make an appointment or do whatever it is that you have to do after school or after after work. I remember as a kid thinking how slowly the days seemed to go, except during the summer. They always seem to go faster during the summer and school starts again very quickly, but time seemed to go very slowly. And sometimes it seemed like it took forever. It took a long time before I was finally old enough to get a license to drive or get out of the house and go do things that I wanted to do. And But then once I was older, and especially now, time seems to fly by. Who hasn't said in the last month that you can't believe that it's the year 2020 already? A new year, a new decade How often do you feel like you don't have enough time to get the things done during the day that you had hoped to accomplish? Or putting off doing things maybe at a time that you can earn more money or you have other things going on. Maybe planning someday when you're older or able to to do some traveling or vacations that you've always wanted to do. Only to find that later in life things didn't turn out the way that you had hoped because of investments that didn't produce as well as you had planned or maybe poor health has robbed you of the opportunities. 
we make plans or schedule time to do this or that, and hopefully we can get it accomplished at its appointed time. We can make detailed plans to accomplish something on a particular day and then find at the end of the day that we've only completed a few of the items because it took longer to do the tasks or something else came up that took a priority or you just ran out of time. Time. It's important in our lives. It affects or limits all of us in some manner. But there is nothing in our daily lives that we take for granted more than time. Some people would consider the stewardship of time to be more important than the stewardship of money. There are probably many people who, upon reaching their deathbed, look back on their lives and think how they would have lived it differently if they could do a do-over or if they had just had more time. They would have done this or that. One thing that all of us have in common, no matter if you're wealthy or poor, male or female, regardless of your race, is that you only have so much time. And none of us know how much time we have. Death puts an end to our toil and pursuits. All that we may have built or accumulated or struggled for throughout our lives will be left behind for someone else when we're gone. Before long, regardless of your accomplishments or your reputation, you will probably be just a distant memory to people you left behind. I hope this doesn't sound too weird, but one of the things that you may find me doing when I'm traveling to other parts of the state or the country or around the world even, is to go and visit cemeteries, especially old cemeteries, historical cemeteries in a city or in an area, and see whose remains were laid there. I find it interesting on how many tombs or markers are falling apart or are worn so badly that you can't even read the information anymore. You have no idea who's even there. Just men and women who lived in the past and are now gone and for the most part, forgotten. In today's text, in Ecclesiastes 3, if you... Turn back there. We read it this morning. Solomon takes up the topic of time. And it's a short passage, so we'll go ahead and reread it. Starting in verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. 
a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. Time to tear down and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. This is the most familiar passage in Ecclesiastes, and it's frequently been used at funerals, interestingly, not only for believers, but for unbelievers. Whether you are a Christian of any spiritual maturity, or an atheist, or a humanist, you could read this passage and come to some agreement with this poem in the first eight verses of this chapter. In the end, you can conclude that what will happen will happen. Ecclesiastes is one of the Old Testament wisdom literature books, along with Job, Psalms, Proverbs, and Song of Solomon, and it seeks, among other things, to find order, purpose, and meaning in life. That's the idea behind them, their goals. The goal of traditional wisdom is to pass on what one has learned both from instruction and from observation and experience. This particular passage should be read along with the remainder of the chapter, which is going to be a little different today because I'm going to try to come to an ending, but I'm also going to pass the baton to BJ for next week, who's going to finish the chapter and hopefully tie all this together so it helps to make more sense to us. King Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes most likely towards the later part of his life. After living a lifetime of seeking and learning and accomplishing all that he has claimed that he has experienced. He's speaking now from a lifetime of experiences, successes, and probably many failures. If I were to seek advice about life from someone, the elderly Solomon would be the type of person that I would want to hear from. Think about what you may already know from past scripture study. Concerning Solomon in Israel, the reign of Solomon was when Israel was at its peak of influence in the world. There was no one wiser than Solomon. In fact, world leaders and other rulers from throughout the known world traveled to Israel to learn from him and sit in his presence. He had it all to the fullest extent of that cliche. He had tremendous intellect, power, and wealth. Things that many people in the world seek and desire in their lifetime. He had it all. In the first chapters of this book, he describes some of the things that he did in search of fulfillment in his life. He saw it after pleasure, physical gratification, building projects, possessions including herds and flocks and slaves. He found that all these things, though in the end, 
or vanity. In fact, he says, vanity of vanities, which is a typical way in Scripture to express an extreme. All these things, he says, are like a vapor or a breath. According to the late Bible theologian and teacher, Dr. R.C. Scroll, or Sproul, the use of this word in Ecclesiastes points to that which is fleeting or temporary, like a puff of vapor or a breath. He says also, in addition, that it could be that which is fleeting is hard to grasp or capture. So the term can also refer to realities beyond our understanding, things that happen that we can't quite fully understand and comprehend and may never comprehend in this life. Certainly things ultimately escape from our full comprehension despite our ability to understand them to some degree. So here Solomon considers time. Solomon wrote the first eight verses and he used pairs of opposites to illustrate that there is a proper time for all activity, human activity. He's not suggesting that there is a time when one should set out to accomplish each of these things and that their happiness is dependent on knowing when to do what. He is saying that God has appointed times when all these things can and probably will happen in a lifetime, whether we like it or not. This is reality. It's called life. Solomon is setting up the realities of life and describing a pattern of time in this chapter, but he has a much larger point that he intends to make by the end of the chapter and by the end of the book. Look at some of the events in uh, the first eight verses that he mentions. It's not things that require a lot of gospel insight to understand. And I don't plan on going through all of them. I just thought it would be interesting to kind of talk about a few of them. In verse 2, there's a time to be born and a time to die. Excuse me. This not only indicates that all of us have a date and time of birth and death, but it would probably also mean that it's to be inclusive between birth and death to include all the time of life that lies between these major events. There's a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted. Remember, Israel depended on its agricultural areas to survive. And many families had family gardens to produce what they needed to eat and provide for their own substance during the year. And then probably many of them had leftovers or grew crops to sell for income. A time to kill and a time to heal. It's open to a, a couple thoughts that I came across. 
One being a time to carry out capital punishment or a time to forgive in a nation or a time to defend the oppressed. But it could also refer to a time of, instead of time to kill, time of severe illness that could lead to death, which would make more sense when you look at the opposite of being healing, and to seek medical aid for healing and to save one's life. One of these would be beyond our control as humans. The other is a gift from God, the healing. Some of the older theologians that I use, such as Matthew Henry, would explain these events in light of the history of Israel, which is something that I frequently will point out when uh, I, I speak to you about looking at a passage and try to figure out what did it mean from the original writer to the original receivers in context, in historical context to the time. Matthew Henry says that that is how you should do this. And he looks at it in the light of the history of Israel, which is probably prudent and initially at least. Such as in verse 3, meaning a time when the judgments of God are falling upon the land, as we know Israel frequently had happen because of sin, disobedience, and a time to heal being the time when God returned in ways, is in ways of mercy and he repaired what was torn down. So you can look at these verses in a, a number of different ways, one historically, one more current in trying to figure out how they may match up to us. Time to weep and a time to laugh. Both have their appropriate times to take place. And it would be wrong to laugh when you should be weeping and vice versa. This probably comes to uh, a maturity level, the understanding when it's appropriate to do one over the other. The same can be said of mourning and a time to dance. The reality of life is that there are, is a time when you could be dancing with someone and soon after you could be mourning their passing. We never know. How often has someone danced with a daughter or son at their graduation or wedding only to mourn the loss of that child because of later because of an illness or an accident that took their life prematurely? Ray Steadman, in one of his sermons on Ecclesiastes 3, explained on these verses that, quote, no one is going to escape the hurts and sorrows of life. God chose them for us. The proof of that is when God's own Son came. He was not handed a beautiful life with everything pleasant and delightful free from struggle and pain. No, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as Isaiah 53 says. In a fallen world, it is right that there will be times of hurt, of sorrow and weeping. We may not understand it. We would probably never plan 
to put ourselves through a particular hardship or heartache. But we learn as we grow in Christ to put our trust in God and allow Him to carry out His divine will and plan in our life, which we don't have the ability to fully understand or to fully know. Solomon made this list, which is probably not intended to be inclusive, meaning covering everything. But in the end, he once again brings up the point, what does it all matter? BJ is down with the kids this morning, so he's not going to know how far I poach into his text for next week. But we're going to slip in a little bit. I think it helps to understand these verses some. Look at verse 9 through 11 of chapter 3. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. One of the major themes of Solomon in Ecclesiastes is the fertility of human effort. What gain does the worker get from his toil? He isn't saying that we shouldn't work or organize or build, etc., But in the end of the day, it's not going to matter as much as we may hope. This is an important message for us as believers to hear. All the great things that are accomplished by humans against the expanse of eternity are just not going to account for that much. After all the effort that one puts into building a structure or even a movement, in the end, someone else comes along that takes your place when you're gone. If you were to take these passages by themselves and not take it in context to the whole book of Ecclesiastes, right now you may be thinking then, What in the world am I going through all this for? Why should I build? Why should I work? Why should I go through this hardship that I seem to be going through if nothing matters in the end? But that's the hazard with just taking a section from Scripture and not understanding the full message. The book of Ecclesiastes was not written and given to us and included in the Bible to depress us. But instead, it is there to bring hope. That's why we need to take the whole book together. And we'll look at a couple verses at the end of the chapter here shortly. I think that the second part of verse 11 is important to catch. That God has put eternity into man's heart. 
There are two major ways that human beings look at time. Being that we are here in the United States, we don't think sometimes that there's other ways that people look at life than what we do. There's an Eastern philosophy that isn't linear. It doesn't move from a beginning to an end. Instead, it moves in cycles. A recurring wheel of time. Eastern philosophy includes ideas such as reincarnation. That's how they can come up with that thought. A theme central to Eastern religions is that there is a cycle of time that repeats itself over and over again. That there's really nothing new that ever happens. It's just an unfolding of time that goes again and again. In Western thinking, which is based on a biblical worldview, we understand that there is a beginning and an end. There's a genesis and there's a judgment. That both are set against the backdrop of eternity. And that makes life very different for us. If we were to believe that we're just temporarily passing through a great will of time, but we'll come through it all over again later, then we would seek to get everything that we can out of this life. Because who knows what will happen the next time the will of time comes around. Time is important. Because God is the maker of time. And he who created the universe gave us the gift of time. But in the end of the day, what's most important for the Christian is not time, but eternity. That's a transforming understanding. It means that we don't have to try and get all of our satisfaction and fulfillment in this life. A Christian should, in fact, understand that we will die with some hopes unfulfilled, some promises unkept, and some anticipations not yet even seen. That reminds me of Hebrews chapter 11 when I was thinking of that and it, that thought sound familiar. Hebrews 11.1 1 gives a definition of faith. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Things that we are hoping for that we were never even able to experience. In that great chapter of faith where the writer had listed a number of men and women that were credited to have great faith in their lives, what is one of the things that they share in common besides faith? They had all died never seeing what they had been promised. The Messiah. 
But they did see Him with eyes of faith. That's what our life should look like too. At the end of the day, we don't know how many minutes, hours, days, or years that we have, but we do know that time is important because God made it. But time also reminds us that in this life, we will not experience everything that we would want to experience. We will even experience some of the things that will leave us unfulfilled and aching for eternity. So we live this life in anticipation of what is to come. A couple of other thoughts that I'd like to share with you before we conclude. Solomon sets the question of time against the backdrop of eternity. In verse 14, helps us to set everything in its proper frame. He says, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. We build and time destroys it. But whatever God does will remain forever. According to the Bible, there is a beginning and an end. We understand what time that time is important because time is God's creation. This is the way God has made us. He made us chronological creatures. He's embedded in us the gift of time. And yet, He has sown in our hearts the knowledge that there is something beyond time. He's placed eternity in our hearts. There is something in every human being that cries out that there must be something more than this. And of course, we know that there is. Imagine living a life not having that hope and how desperate life could seem to you, how much despair you could have when you have those heartaches of life. It's our hope of eternity and what's to come that helps us to go through this life and do what we're supposed to be doing in anticipation of what is coming. I think the key to understanding Ecclesiastes is actually at the end of the book. In chapter 12, verse 13, it says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or or evil. Do you want to know what we are supposed to be doing in life? What does a successful life here on earth look like? I think this verse tells us, fear God and keep His commandments. 
Is this something that we've heard in other parts of Scripture? I picked out just one passage in the beginning of Scriptures, but you can find it throughout the whole Bible in various ways. Absolutely we've heard this. That you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Our task, our duty, what we are to be about is to be faithful and do the work that Christ has appointed us to do. That includes in those times when things seem to be going really good in life and when things seem to be going real sucky. Our duty never changes. Our goal never changes. What we're looking for in the future never changes. And that should help you to get through those various times that we go through in life. We're to be His representative here on earth. You wonder how you can do that in Africa or Asia or the eastern seaboard. But you don't have to. You're called to be His representative right here in Fortuna. Right in your own family. Right in your own job. Right in whatever relationships God has put you in. And every deed that is ever done by you or towards you, good or bad, in the open or done in secret, this verse tells us will be judged by God in the judgment. Those things that were done for wrong motives won't last and will be burned up. Those things that are done towards you that needs to be avenged. There's a lot of things that will happen to us in life that you just don't think is fair. Someone says something, someone does something. It could even be a family member. It could be someone in the body of Christ. You just don't think it's fair. Let God take care of that in the future. We're told to let it go. Let it go. God will take care of it in His way. I'm just hoping that there will be some things left on my account that withstand the fire in the end. How about you? Are you trying to do things in this life that you've been given that will last in the judgment? Things that have purpose, eternal purposes. Not worrying about all those little things and how much I can gather and how hard I have to scratch to get to that promotion and work or whatever situation may be? Or are you trying in your life to live in a way that in the end there are some things that will survive the fire? 
and will have eternal purposes. I hope going through Ecclesiastes is not making you feel that life is hopeless because that's not what Solomon is trying to get across to us. Read the whole book so that you're able to see his point. All the things we do here in our human efforts don't last. The things we do with eternal goals and purposes those will. And that's the hope that we have. That's the hope that we have to know that God has a bigger plan than we can fully understand that He's working out in our lives, including the various situations we go through that we don't understand, but God does. He didn't fall asleep at the steering wheel. He still... He's still in charge. He still knows what he's doing. Solomon is saying that there is great hope in what God has promised and to not waste our time trying to satisfy self in this life. Instead, fear God and keep his commandments. We don't have to live trying to get all of our satisfaction out of this life and this time that we're in, we can die satisfied in that because we know that there's an eternity yet to come. When time will be no more. And in eternity, those that are in Christ will find all their hopes fulfilled. All our anticipations as promised would be given and all our experiences would be perfected. That's what he promises us. So don't despair in this life. Have hope in Jesus Christ. Look forward to eternity. Look forward to what he has and the promises he has. And that's one of the things we do when we take communion together. We look back at what he did in his death, burial, and resurrection. We look at what he's doing now for us with bringing us salvation, bringing us together as a body of Christ. And we look forward to what he promises in the future. That's all the things that we commemorate as we take communion and we hope that you feel that way as we take it together. I ask the worship team and the ushers to come forward and pass the elements out. If you will hold them, we'll take them all together when uh, we are all served.